Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 1980 I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and we've got some excellent contributions coming up as we tell you this fascinating story, recounting one of the most significant days in Real Madrid history. To understand how Real Madrid's B-team, known as Castilla, ended up in the Copa del Rey final of 1980, we first have to understand how they ended up in the competition in the first place. You see, before 1991, the B-teams of clubs were legally treated as independent entities. They weren't allowed to compete in the same division as the senior teams, So if they won promotion to La Liga, for example, they would have to forfeit it and give the spot to the next best team, as is still the case today. But back in those days, they were allowed to enter the Copa del Rey, even if they weren't allowed to meet their A-team until the final. It's also important to understand that for most of the 20th century, Spain's top clubs had multiple feeder clubs. In essence, they had multiple B-teams. This was also true with Real Madrid, and Castilla was one of these feeder clubs, but ultimately ended up becoming the exclusive B-team for Los Blancos. To tell us a bit more about the origins of Real Madrid Castilla, here's Roman de Arquer. Real Madrid Castilla Club de Football was originally founded in 1930 as Agrupación Deportiva Plus Ultra by the workers of an insurance company called Plus Ultra. At the time, it could be considered one of Madrid's unofficial reserve teams, among many others, who would provide Real Madrid with players in exchange for financial support. So Madrid would feed off many different clubs from the region when looking for raw talent, but without any direct ownership over these clubs. But it was in 1947 when Real Madrid reached an agreement with Agrupación Deportiva Plus Ultra to become their sole provider of players, in exchange for that previously mentioned financial aid. Although the club's decision-making would still be independent from Los Blancos. Players such as Luis Aragonés, Vicente del Bosque, Miguel Muñoz or Zárraga played for Plus Ultra before enjoying successful careers at the top level, coming to prove how important it was to have a team in which to develop talent. And they were quite successful, almost reaching Spain's top-tier division in the 1959-1960 season. 
but things got complicated for them in the beginning of the 70s, when Plus Ultra, the company, was acquired by the Bank of Bilbao, who was interested in cutting back on superfluous expenses. The football team was actually suffering financial losses, so this is when Real Madrid decided to make things official by purchasing their federative rights in 1972 and changing the team's name to Castilla Club de Fútbol. This name was selected to honor the region from which the club originated. From there on, the team would always flirt with promotion to Segunda B, until it was finally achieved in the 1976-1977 season, and then followed by another promotion to Segunda the following year, where the team would consolidate itself for over a decade. But in the Copa del Rey, before their impressive stint in the 1979-1980 season, Castilla never made it past the third round since becoming Madrid's official reserve team. That was their best result which they managed in three occasions. Although, as Agrupación Deportiva Plus Ultra, they had once reached the quarterfinals in the 1958-1959 season, which was their best result, defeating Racing de Santander, who were called Real Santander back then, Real Sociedad and Deportivo de la Coruña along the way, until Granada thrashed them 7-2 on aggregate in the quarterfinals. But Castilla's best performance in this competition was yet to come. That's right, it wasn't until the 1979-80 season that Castilla embarked on their best ever cup run. They had some great players in that squad, even if the average age was only 20. They had players who would go on to enjoy successful careers with the first team, the likes of Agustin, Francisco Pineda or Ricardo Gallego. The success was probably down to the players more than anything. The coach, Juancho Garcia, never really enjoyed any success coaching outside of Castilla, having a couple of fairly unsuccessful stints with Rayo Vallecano and Tenerife. This Castilla Cup run wasn't down to his tactical genius or anything like that. It was purely down to a really talented generation and a group that was united and that played hard. They had to overcome some very tricky hurdles to reach the final. Don't be fooled into thinking that they had an easy cup run. As Alex Fitzpatrick is about to explain, it was anything but easy. Castilla were a Segunda Division side at the time and entered the draw at the first round stage. They played seven two-legged ties, a total of 14 games in order to progress to the final. In the first two rounds, Castilla showed their superior league status, winning convincingly against sides from the Tercera Division. In the first round, they faced Extremadura, racking up a 10-2 aggregate scoreline across the two legs. Alcorcón were the next team to fall, a 5-1 result after the home and away games. Castilla then faced their first real challenge of the competition against fellow Segunda Division side Real Racing Club de Santander, winning the first leg at home in front of their own fans by three goals to one. They then managed to grind out a 0-0 draw in the return leg in Santander to book themselves a place in the fourth round of the competition, where they would face their first opposition from the Primera División, Hercules Club de Football. This game saw Castilla pull off the first of three spectacular remontadas, or comebacks, to make their way through to the next round. Against Hercules, though, was possibly the most spectacular of those. In the first leg, Castilla travelled to Alicante, but had a less than sunny welcome from the home side. Castilla were convincingly beaten by four goals to one, with the newspapers the next day lauding the victory as a whipping Yet the 88-minute consolation goal from Francisco Pineda would prove to be important in the balance of the tie. Back in Madrid, seven days later, and Castilla turned the tie on its head, 
progressing to the last 16 with a 4-0 victory. The winning goal coming in extra time with the tie at 4-4 on aggregate after 90 minutes. The remontada was described as Castilla shatters Hercules by El Mundo Deportivo. Castilla marched on to the round of 16 and would face another Primera Division side. Throughout their run to the final of the competition, they were forbidden to play against their parent side, Real Madrid. On two occasions, Lady Luck pulled their ball out of the cloth bag alongside that of the A-team and a redraw had to take place. This time ahead of them were Athletic Club, a difficult opponent and a side who would go on to win the league in 1983 and 1984. Castilla put on a good showing and managed to hold Athletic to a 0-0 draw in the first leg in Madrid. Then, against all odds, Castilla pulled off an unlikely 2-1 victory in San Mames, which El Mundo Deportivo described as a humbling of the King of Cups in reference to Athletic's 23 previous Copa del Rey titles. Now in uncharted territory, Castilla would face another giant of that early 80s era, Real Sociedad. The Basque side finished second in Spain in that very same year and would go on to be champions of Spain in 1981 and 82. Having already pulled off one remontada earlier in the draw, Castilla made it their trademark in the season's competition. In the quarter-final, they lost the first leg 2-1 in the Basque country, but made home advantage count against Real Sociedad in the second leg, winning 2-0. Following the game, there was a half-front page spread in El Mundo Deportivo entitled Incredible Castilla and Castilla Sensational Once More on the inside pages. If Castilla's journey to the semi-final hadn't been dramatic enough, they saved the best for the semi-final tie against Real Sporting de Gijón. The first leg in Gijón was controversial to say the least. Referee Alvarez Maguenda sent off Castilla's Ricardo Alvarez for two yellow cards and awarded two penalties to Sporting in Castilla's 2-0 defeat. All looked to be lost, but Castilla had come too far to give up at this point. As had been the case throughout their cup run, Castilla proved to be no pushover back in Madrid. Playing at the Bernabeu, the local fans flocked to support in numbers, with over 80,000 in attendance. Castilla raced into a 3-0 first-half lead. Hong pulled one back in the second half, but the revival was a temporary one, as Castilla took back their three-goal advantage, saw out the game, and became the third Segunda Division side to reach the final of the Copa del Rey, where they would face the first team. So there they were, Castilla had reached the Copa del Rey final and they would be playing Big Brothers Real Madrid. How did the final go? Who won? Who scored? And what was the aftermath of it all? We'll be discussing all of that after this short break. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 1980. Another surprising upset, or the big brother would prevail with its lineup of football stars. Garcia Ramon, Sabido, Pirri, Benito, Camacho, Ángel del Bosque, Estileque, Juanito, Santillana, and Cunningham started for Real Madrid. In Castilla's case, the lineup was made up of Agustín, Juanito, Herrero, Castañeda, Casimiro, Álvarez, Gallego, Bernal, Pineda, Paco, and Zidon. Soon the fans and TV viewers noticed something pretty expected. Both the challenges and the tackles were pretty, pretty soft. Usually a final, as you know, delivers plenty of physical plays and players clashing, but this game was approached by both teams in a different way. Almost no fouls nor controversial plays throughout the 90 minutes. The stands also were pretty much divided. Obviously, most of the fans in the Bernabeu wanted Madrid to win, but in the same way, 
Others hoped that the little kids would be able to beat their big brothers. They had followed Castilla throughout the whole competition and actually nicknamed them Los Mata Gigantes and dreamed about the team being able to cap off their run in a spectacular game. However, the board had different plans. They were much less subtle and had clear instructions for both teams. Before the game, several executives went down into the locker room and spoke with the players from both teams. When speaking with the youngsters, they remembered them that the final was going to be a big Madridista party and that they should also enjoy playing such a game, not really minding the end result. However, when speaking with the first team, their demands were much, much different and they told them to deliver their absolute best as losing to the B team could be perceived as a humiliation. Once the kickoff took place, Castilla played pretty loosely and merrily for around 15 minutes, not really caring about the pressure and the atmosphere and doing a decent job. It all ended when Juan Gomez Juanito scored the opener in the 20th minute and then Castilla's players began feeling the heat and Real Madrid played much more confidently. Just before halftime, Santillana scored the 2-0 and almost secured the win. The second half would be pretty harsh on the youngsters as the first team had no mercy and the goals slowly trickled in. Sabido and Del Bosque placed a very tough 4-0 in the scoreboard, but Castilla were not ready to go without putting a fight. Alvarez dribbled and shot a true rocket from outside the box straight to the back of the net in the 80th minute to score the only goal for his team that night, which by the way was incredibly cheered and celebrated by the stands. Later, Garcia Hernández in the 82nd minute and again Juanito, who got a brace that night, rounded off the score. 6-1, Real Madrid were the Copa del Rey champions against their B team. Atención. Y finalmente el primer tanto de la tarde conseguido por Stilike y del Bosque. Precisamente del Bosque ha sido el que acaba de conseguir el cuarto tanto a los 17 minutos y medio. Álvarez. Y golazo tremendo. Maravilloso gol de Álvarez, el extremo derecha. Ha sido un gol que ha sorprendido. Ha terminado pues este encuentro, señoras y señores espectadores, con esta abultada victoria del Real Madrid sobre su equipo filial, el Castilla por seis. Even though Real Madrid's board were ecstatic and insisted on in both teams posing together to take pictures after the trophy was delivered to the winner, not everybody was happy about the way things developed. One of Castilla's players, Agustin, was outraged because of the board's message of them enjoying the game before the kickoff and playing a bit more relaxed while the first team had the orders of giving their fullest. And he didn't remain in the pitch, he left into the locker room and cracked open a door after kicking it from pure frustration and later he would state that he deeply regretted not having played to the 100%. Once the dust settled, Castilla were obviously happy with how the season went. They'd become the first ever B team to reach the cup final and they'd finished seventh in the second division, a very respectable result. Plus, there was one final prize for them to enjoy. Given that Real Madrid had already qualified for the European Cup by winning the league, the Cup Winners Cup spot available to the Copa del Rey winner went to runners-up Castilla, that's right. A B team was about to enter European competition in the 1980-81 season. That's pretty incredible. And to tell us about this Cup Winners Cup part of the Castilla story, here's Matt Clark. In the first round of the competition, Castilla faced West Ham United. 
They went behind at the Bernabeu in front of 40,000 spectators in the first leg, but recovered to win 3-1. The West Ham lineup featured household names such as Billy Bonds, Trevor Brooking and Frank Lampard Sr. However, the game was overshadowed by crowd trouble amid a period when English football fans had a bad reputation for this kind of behaviour. 50 fans had to be removed from the stadium and there were clashes with police outside the ground. One fan died after being hit by a bus following scuffles with police. These incidents were widely condemned by the British press and the London-based club, with players and the manager lamenting the actions of the culprits. As was widely expected, UEFA came down hard on the Hammers, heavily fining them and forcing them to play the second leg at least 300 kilometers outside of London. Sunderland offered them the use of Roker Park for the game, which is about as far as you could reasonably get away from East London. West Ham appealed this decision. Although UEFA did allow them to play at home, no fans would be allowed into the ground, nor could any see it live, either on television or in local cinemas. Consequently, this second leg in East London has been infamously dubbed the ghost game because of the UEFA enforcement to play behind closed doors. Only club officials, administrative staff, and the media were in attendance, with the official tally of 262 the lowest for a competitive match in the club's history. The game saw a stark contrast in fortunes for Castilla. The Hammers were three goals to the good before half-time as they had too much for the youngsters. Castilla captain Bernal replied with a sensational free kick to make it 3-1 on the night and level on aggregate, but extra time was required to finally separate these two sides. Now Brooking, and now Stewart. Morgan again. There's been very few occasions where West Ham have got their first time passing going, but it's brought them a goal that could be the winner. David Cross. West Ham scored twice and prevailed 6-4 on aggregate. So the adventure was over at the first hurdle, but they have gone down in history as the only reserve side to enter UEFA senior club competition. This squad won the hearts of Madrid and some of the key players went on to have distinguished careers with the senior side. The goalkeeper, Augustin Rodriguez, was promoted into the fold at the end of the following season, playing in the European Cup semi-final against Inter in just his first appearance at the Bernabeu. He kept a clean sheet too. He even started the European Cup final, which Los Blancos lost to Liverpool in Paris. Not bad for a goalkeeper who was playing second division football a year previously. Striker Francisco Pineda also made the jump from Castilla to first team. He played over 100 times in all competitions, winning two Copa titles and the UEFA Cup in 1985. The most notable graduate of that Castilla team was the midfield maestro Ricardo Gallego. He played a total of 337 games for Real Madrid, winning four La Liga titles, two Coppas and two UEFA Cups in a nine-season spell. He was also capped over 40 times by Spain, a testament to his consistency and ability. His standout performances in that Copa run for Castilla were obviously no flash in the pan. So that's how this remarkable story came to an end for Castilla. They'll forever be remembered as a unique side that reached a Copa del Rey final and that played in Europe. They go down in history as the only B team to do so and no B team ever will do so again. That's because the youth sides of professional clubs were forbidden from entering the Copa del Rey from 1990-91 onwards. Let's talk to Christopher McCormick of Managing Madrid and the Madrid story now about whether or not B teams 
should be allowed back into the Copadori. Christopher, you follow Castilla really closely and you'll know that the current Castilla side is a lot stronger than some of the teams who will be taking on La Liga sides in the first round of the newly formatted Copadori. Should B teams be allowed back in it? So I actually do think that the B team should be allowed to play back in the Copa del Rey, largely because a team like Castilla uh, playing Segunda B where it's not a pleasant league to play in, it's physical and uh, hard to watch. So playing in the Copa del Rey offers B teams like Castilla the chance to play uh, better, more technical sides that would challenge them in different ways and would ultimately be uh, beneficial for the young players' development. Interesting. You mentioned there the issues that come with Castilla coming up against the first teams of other clubs in the third tier. In general, do you think the presence of B teams in the regular football impairment is a good thing? I don't mind B teams playing uh, regular professional sides. However, I do mind it when they're in Segunda B because it's just a more cynical, rougher league. I sometimes do wonder what exactly is the benefit of having uh, B teams that low down. But in terms of like higher up where perhaps the league becomes more technical and more uh, the referees are more forgiving um, I can definitely see a benefit to them playing in the normal leagues Could the presence of B teams in the Copadori force La Liga coaches into playing stronger teams because then they wouldn't be able to just fill up their living with five or six kids from the B team um, I don't think the presence of B teams in the Copa del Rey would stop La Liga coaches from taking younger players from B teams. I think that if a coach thinks that a youngster is ready, is good enough to play for the first team uh, in the Copa level, they will take them and just play them anyways and allow the space that they leave in the B team to be taken up by an under-19s player. So I don't really think that's it would stop them from uh, selecting the promising youth players from B teams. Thanks, Christopher. It's an interesting debate and one we hope you'll join in with us on Twitter by messaging and replying to at La Liga Lowdown. That brings us to the end of this podcast about Castilla's run to the 1980 Copa del Rey final. And thanks to Christopher McCormack there and to all of the other contributors, to Roman de Arcaire, to Alex Fitzpatrick, to Paco Pollitt and to Matt Clark. I've been your host, Drew McTeer, and I thank you very much for listening. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakle.